a portion of this passage is a longer passage. I'll pray, and then we will dive into God's Word. A prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. Father, we do thank you so much that you are a God that hears our prayers, that we can come to you at all times. We could come to you in our greatest joys and our greatest trials. We pray now, God, that you would hear our prayers tonight. That is, when we hear this word now, that the word would fall on fertile soil, that you would reap a harvest in our hearts, that you would make us love you more, that you would help us understand that the trials that we face in this life are nothing compared to the trials that you faced when you sent your son to live and to, to die in our place. God, we pray that we would have eyes of hope, eyes of the resurrection tonight, and they would fully believe in your promised word. We ask now that you would bless this word in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage is a wonderful scripture uh, because it really is honest. Uh, one of the best things that we can learn in our lives is to be honest before the Lord, to be honest before our families, to be honest before the church. Uh, I was speaking to someone earlier this week, and they, they mentioned uh, the church face, like when someone kind of gives you that look like everything smiles and roses. But we all know that all, all life is not all, all, all good. Uh, sometimes the trials are very difficult. And the inscription of this psalm kind of leads that way. Look at the, the early inscription here. Now, when you see bold inscription uh, above a psalm, that means it's actually part of the inspired text. So this one is a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. So we see here in the Psalms, we see someone undone, weary, afflicted for all sorts of reasons, and then he goes with a complaint before the Lord. Uh, beloved, it's okay to bring your complaints before the Lord. Uh, we don't want to complain about God. We want to complain to God. And you'll see that in the text, what happens in the, in the Psalms, and this happens all the time, is that a complaint goes up to God, and at some point in the text, there's a pivot. And someone pivots back to remind their hearts of the promises of the Lord. So look at this text with me. The first thing we see is an honest confession, verses 1 and 2. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me. In the day of my distress, incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. One thing I would just encourage you to do is that when you face trials is to go to God. It seems simple, but what often happens is when we are going through trials and afflictions and distress, the first thing we tend to do is go to one another, to go horizontal. And there's nothing wrong with going horizontal and sharing your, 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 your heart with those around you. But even more than you should be sharing it horizontally, you should be sharing it vertically. That should be our first instinct. God, hear my prayer. God, deliver me. God, in my distress, hear me. There's this plea. And just notice when you look at this text, this is, this is not um, just a period. I mean, if you look at the text, there's an exclamation point, right? Let my cry come to you. There's an exclaiming unto the Lord. 
There's this emotive prayer to God. So first, I would go to God in your trials and then shout to God with a, with a fervency in your being, ask for help. You know, a lot of times we, we feel that when we approach the Lord, it has to be somber, it has to be quiet, and we have to say the right things when we talk to the Lord. God wants you to just come to Him. God wants you to cry out to Him and just share your heart. And when you're crying out to God, honestly, you're not trying to say the right words. You're not trying to, to, to please God in how you speak. You're just saying, God, help me. I feel awful today. Why would you fix this problem? Please, God. I can't handle it anymore. That's what we, that's, God wants that. He's our Father, and He's not going to turn us away. He delights to hear our prayers. So we see this honest confession and then this honest complaint. Look at this, the heart of this complaint in verse 3. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bo- bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. I forget to eat my bread because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I'm like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. And all the days my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. There's several things we see in this complaint. One, we see that he is complaining about his life being a vapor, that his life seems to be short. We see that in the beginning in verse, two, verse 3. My days pass away like a smoke. My bones like a, will burn like a furnace. And then there's kind of a, 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 at the end in verse 11, you see the same thing. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. And now we all know that life is a vapor. Life is here one minute and gone the next. And let us never forget it. Uh, and this psalmist seems to, to think that his end, his end of his life is going to be near. Uh, you can imagine when, when someone feels their, their body wasting away through a disease or through cancer. You know it's coming. You, you can't keep food down and you don't, you don't have your strength. You, you feel that the end is, is coming so close. And this is what the psalmist feels. Life is a vapor. And he sees this too, that the physical effects. Look at verse 4. Uh, it says, I forget to eat my bread. I just have no hunger. You, you know that there are certain trials in your life that are so bad you, you, you can't even eat. You can't even think about stomaching food. It says he, they've gotten so thin in verse 5, because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my, my flesh. There's physical effects from afflictions, but there's also emotional effects. Look at verse 4. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. That which is the core of my being feels like it is shrunken. I feel like I have nothing left to give. And it also produces isolation. Look at verses 6 and 7. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. We see the sleepless nights in verse 7 again. I lie awake. I'm like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. Sometimes when you're so grieved with afflictions, you just, you can't sleep. You have no rest. You're restless all the time. 
And then you see this sorrow in verse 9. For I eat ashes, mourning, depression, dread, like bread, and mingle tears with my drink. So you see, when you're, when you're going through trials, we can all say that trials uh, build us up in our character, that trials reveal our walk with God. There's trials are doing something in us to grow us and become more like the Lord. Uh, trials, we, we're being pruned so that we can bear more fruit. So we can say, yes, trials are good and a blessing from God. But we can also say that trials are hard. Afflictions are hard. And we should not dismiss that. We don't know the, the, the case of this particular psalmist. It seems he's almost, he's saying this individually as a representative of the whole corporate body of, of Israel, talking about the effects of this pain. It's not only emotional, but it's also relational. You see there in verse 8, his enemies taunt him, deride him, use his name as a curse. And then you see that isolation again. He's lonely. Beloved, in the last several days, I mentioned it a little bit on Sunday, but the last several days I've heard three, no, four people tell me they feel lonely. They feel disconnected from the body of, of Christ. People who come, people who are here, they don't feel loved. They don't feel supported. They feel like they're, they, they come in and no one sees them. Beloved, we have to see one another. You know, one of my, one of my prayers that over this next fall is that we would do a better job seeing one another, one another and knowing one another so that nobody feels disconnected. Now, like I said on Sunday, sometimes you're disconnected because of you, because you're not reaching out. You're not leaning into people. But sometimes you're, you're disconnected because you're, you're trying to, to reach out and no one's reaching back. No one sees you. I mean, how lonely could, is it when you walk into a room, a, a gathering of the saints, and no one sees you? This is how this psalmist feels. And we don't want that to be here. But after we see this honest confession, honest complaint, we see an honest, confident comparison. So this is how the psalmist goes. He, we see this complaint to the Lord, and then look at verse 12. But you, O Lord but you, O Lord. This happens time and time again in the Scripture. Someone is complaining to God, they're bringing their request before God, and then they remember who God is, and they turn, and they turn in praise to the Lord. And they remember that they don't have to fear their affliction, because their affliction is not their final end. Their, their affliction is going to um, uh, lead into a God who never ends. Look what it says. You O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. I mean, just think what they talked about. He says, I am, I, I wither like grass. You know, I'm here one minute and gone the next, but you, Lord, last forever. There's the comparison between man and, and God. Then, as it keeps on going, this promise, you are remembered through all, all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion it is, time, it is the time for, to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. 14, maybe a, an allusion to the temple, trying to rebuild the temple. We have these stones that we want to rebuild. Now is the time, Lord, when you will come and you will restore your people. But look at these promises in verse 15. Nations will fear the name of the Lord. And all the kings of the earth will feel fear your glory. God will win. 
and God will be victorious. It is written in the pages of Scripture. It is going to happen. The world and the nations may rage and scoff against the king, but they will one day all bow. At the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will bow, and they will confess that he is Lord. We see that in Philippians chapter 2. You read the book of Revelation, and what do you see? God wins. I recently was talking to someone and said, I really would wish someone would preach Revelation. I've been going to church my whole life, and no one's preached Revelation. I have. It's fun, but it's terrifying, right? Because you, but what's the message of Revelation? All the different minutia and all the different prophecies. What is, what is Revelation about? God's victory. God wins. All those who oppose God, the, for, the nations and the, the, the kings of this earth are going to, to fall before the King of kings and the Lord of, of lords. And what you see here in, in, in Genesis, uh, first, um, Psalm 102 is a fulfillment of the great promises of Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. When God said, called Abram to go to a land that I will show you, you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth, right? You'll be a father of many nations who, through faith. Do you see this evangelistic impulse in verses 16 and 17? For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. So notice how this changes. This man is writing this psalm in the midst of his affliction, his pain, his agony, the depth where he's crying out to God. And he says, let this psalm that I write allow the people of God who are not yet even born praise his name. You see how that turn happens? He's not looking at himself and his afflictions and how bad his life is. He's looking at the great God who is worthy to be praised, and he's trying to turn all those in his life eyes back to, to God. And then there's, the, there's this colon there, and he, it gives us the reason why God's name should be praised. And if you are one who maybe takes notes in your Bible or take, even take notes tonight, 19 through 22, just write gospel. Just write the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, because this is why God's name can be praised. Because what does God do? He looked down from his holy height, from heaven, the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, those who are in bondage to sin, to set them free, those who were what? Doomed to die. That is every single person on the earth because of their sin. If even you're here tonight and you have not trusted in Christ, you, you will know that one day you will die. All of us are. Everyone in this world who does not know Christ is afraid of death. We are all doomed to die, and we know it. But look what happens. The Lord looks down, hears our groans. He wants to set us free, that they, those who were once prisoners, those who were once doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord. And in Jerusalem, his praise, when the peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. Beloved, that is what's happening. That's what we do every single Sunday. We, we gather together as God's people to worship the Lord as a picture, as a preview, that one day when the, when the trumpet sounds and the Lord descends, all of God's people will be gathered together and praise his name forever. Beloved, we want to live our lives in such a way to our children not yet born to our grandchildren not yet born, that they would praise the name of the Lord. 
Beloved, we saw Max Phillips here on Sunday night, 99 years old. He has seen many saints come and go in these, in these pews over the years, and yet he's still here, right? Max's great, great, great grandson may never have a conversation, remember a conversation with Max, but who knows? Maybe he will, right? Knowing Max. But we want him to praise the Lord. Max wants him to praise the Lord. We want all those who come into our body to praise the name of the Lord. There's the gospel here. If you just maybe hold this place in your, actually just not yet, uh, let me read 23 through 27, then I want to go one more place in scripture. It says, he has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure throughout all generations. Now focus on verses 25 through 27. Of old, you laid the foundation of earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They all will wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will all pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. Now hold your place here and scroll, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. This is quoted in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 1. And if you're going to teach on the person and work of Jesus Christ, one of the first places you will go is Hebrews chapter 1. It's a wonderful passage of the divinity of Christ. And right there it says that this passage in in Psalm 102, is actually written of the Son. So in Psalm, uh, sorry, Hebrews chapter 1, it says in verse 8, but of the Son, he says. So the, the author of Hebrews is making this comparison between angels and the Son, the, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And it says, of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And then it says, and. And meaning, in addition to, about the Son. This psalm is ultimately about the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is what? You, Lord. Jesus laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They all will wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. So right here, what the author of Hebrews is saying is that the one that the, the psalmist speaks of is the Lord Jesus. He is the divine creator. He's the one who spoke this world into existence. He is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. And he is unchanging, right? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Beloved, I'm not sure if you realize this, but those are precious truths. Think about the afflictions that you face and the trials that you face in your life, but remember that you have a creator who made you. You have an eternal creator who made you that is unchanging. He will be the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when you're going through joys and prosperity, God is with you. When you're going through trials and, and despair, God is with you. He never changes. He's the creator who loves you who gave his life for you, who died and, and rose again so that he would always be with you. Beloved, we don't have to go to a, a, a book or um, we don't have to, to, to have some kind of secret treatment to deal with our afflictions. We need to go to God and remember who he is. Remember his creative power. In the end of Psalm 102, it says this in verse 28, the children of your servants show what? 
dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. So what the psalmist remembers, he's thinking about all his affliction. You see that honest complaint, that honest confession that he brings before the Lord, and then he, he remembers. He remembers who God is, and you have this honest, confident um, trust in the Lord and what the Lord has done. And at the end, he says, I shall dwell secure. I am safe. I am protected. God is my refuge. God is my fortress, and I shall not be afraid. Beloved, when you have trials, go to God. Honestly, go before Him with all your complaints and let Him turn your heart back to Him. Let Him remind you of who He is and what He has done for you and that you will always dwell secure because you are in Christ forever. Father, we pray that you would allow us to remember in the midst of our trials that you are God who never changes, that you endure throughout all generations, that you look down from heaven, that you hear our prayers. You have come to set us free in Christ, to open our eyes to the truth of the gospel, and to, to help us know that we will always dwell secure. So God, I pray in whatever trials we face in this room, whatever trials are coming, that we will remember that you are our God who never changes and who will always be with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.